the most important thing to Christ in today's world is what happens in his church. That's what he's building. That's what matters for eternity. World powers will rise and fall. Bad economies will come and go. But what matters to Christ is his church. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom concludes his series with part 12 of The Church According to Jesus. Throughout our time in Ephesians chapter 4, one of the main themes we've examined is unity. The Apostle Paul calls believers to put on the attitudes of unity, humility, patience, gentleness, and tolerance for one another in love. Where those attitudes exist, there will be unity. Where they do not, there will be conflict and discord. Well, today, as Tom closes out our study in this wonderful chapter, you'll discover seven biblical means to maintaining Christian unity. Let's open our Bibles and join Tom right now with today's message on The Word Unleashed. You see, like the cells in our physical bodies, every individual Christian only grows when he is connected, he or she is connected to the rest of the body. That's the point here. The whole body causes the body to grow. We don't grow and parts of our bodies cannot grow or live separate from the rest of our bodies. On July 9th, 2001, off the Florida Panhandle, an eight-year-old boy was swimming, and he was attacked by a bull shark. The, the shark literally severed his arm fairly cleanly about six inches below his shoulder. The boy's uncle stopped the attack and actually wrestled this bull shark to the shore. There was a park ranger nearby. The park ranger came over and shot the shark three times to loosen its jaws and to kill it. There were emergency medical technicians who shortly arrived, and they literally, as the boy was rushed off to the hospital, these emergency medical technicians literally rescued the severed boy's right arm from inside the shark's mouth. Through a 12-hour delicate surgery, a team of physicians reattached that boy's right arm. Think about it for a moment. If that young man's arm had remained separate from his body in a very short period of time, that arm would have atrophied and died. But once it was reattached, through God's goodness to us and through the procedures that have been discovered through his common grace, once that boy's arm was reattached, it not only continued to live, but as he grew, that arm grew with him. That's how it is with the church. You and I can only grow when we are connected to the rest of the body. That's Paul's point in verse 16. It would be an odd thing for a member of the body to survive without the rest of the body. It can't happen. 
The body grows as a unified whole. And as a Christian, listen carefully, as a Christian, God never intended that you as a Christian should live and grow separately from the rest of the body. John Calvin put it like this, no growth is advantageous which does not bear a just proportion to the whole body. That man is mistaken who desires his own separate growth. If you cut yourself off from the rest of the body of Christ, you threaten your very life. Our spiritual life, Paul wants us to know here, will only flourish as long as we are connected to the head and to the other parts of the body. It doesn't take a village to grow a Christian, but according to Paul in Ephesians 4.16, it does take take a healthy functioning church to grow a Christian. The whole body causes the growth of the body. Just think about the implications of that for a moment. You will only grow spiritually as God intended as you remain connected to the body of Christ. That runs so contrary to the individualist spirit of our age, doesn't it? We like to think of ourselves as islands. I can come and go at will. I'll do what I want when I want. That's never the image of the New Testament. You and I will only grow as we remain connected to the head and to the rest of the body. That was God's intention. There's a third implication of Christ's plan for the entire church corporately. It's this, every individual Christian is supposed to contribute to the growth of the church. Every individual Christian is supposed to contribute to the growth of the church. Look at verse 16 again. From Christ, the whole body, now watch the intervening phrases, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body. So think of it like this. Christ is the head, and he is the source of the church's growth. It's from him that the growth of the body flows, just as if your head is severed, your body can't continue to grow. It is what directs the various cells of your body to grow properly. But Christ uses, while he is the source of our spiritual growth, he uses the proper working of every individual part to accomplish that growth. Notice how Paul puts it. The whole body being fitted. That's an interesting word. We saw it in chapter 2, verse 21. It's an architectural word, being fitted. In the ancient world, particularly when it came to building great monumental stone buildings, the stones were not put together with mortar. Instead, they were carefully cut and quarried so that they fit together with the other stones around them. That's the word picture behind this word. The body of Christ, like a building, has been carefully designed. And every stone, to mix the metaphors as Paul does here, every stone has been carefully cut to perfectly fit the stones around it. In the same way, 
the body of Christ, every part has been designed to fit with the other parts it touches. Think about that for a moment. If you're a part of this church, it means that God has cut and fit all the members of this church together so that we would fit together as he designed. Being fitted But notice the whole body is not only being fitted, but also is being held together. Is being held together. If being fitted describes the designed contact between us, being held together describes our attachment to one another. Our being knit together, our united together. How is the body of Christ fitted together And how then is it attached together, united together, held together? How is that unity preserved? Notice how Paul continues, by or through what every joint supplies. By or through what every joint supplies. Now, there's been a lot of ink spilled over what the word joint here means in the Greek text. Most of the modern translations and most of the commentators take it to be joint because it's used similarly in Colossians chapter 2. It's, it's used with the word ligament. And so because of that, most have translated it this way, and I think it's probably the best way to understand it. Now, when you see that expression, through what every joint supplies, some commentators think that every joint here refers back to the gifted men of verse 11. In other words, the joints are gifted men, and then the next phrase, every individual part, is talking about all the members. That's certainly possible, but I think it's probably best to understand both of these phrases as referring to every single Christian, every part of the body. So then, let's put it together. The whole body then is fitted and held together by what every joint or every Christian supplies through the supply that comes from every Christian. You say, well, what can every Christian supply? Well, notice the next phrase, the proper working or function of each individual part. According to the proper working or function of each individual part. You know, perhaps you've been tempted to say, you know, I'm just one person. I mean, what can I do in this church? What can I do that'll really contribute to this church? The answer is, you can supply what only you can supply. You can fill your role. You have been given, as we saw earlier in this passage, a spiritual gift, a a giftedness to serve in the church if you are truly a Christian. And so has every other true Christian who attends this church. And so if you would simply use your gift, if every individual Christian, if every individual part of the body functioned as it was designed, this local expression of the body of Christ will continue to grow. That's Paul's point. Harold Honer, who just recently went to be with the Lord, in his excellent commentary on this passage says, The union and growth of the body can only come when there is contact with other members of the body. 
We each supply something that causes the body to grow. Just as every cell in your body, however ever insignificant that individual cell may be, every cell together contributes to the growth of your body. Not one of them is unimportant. The same thing is true in the life of the church. The source of the church's growth is Christ, and he causes that growth through what every joint supplies, through the proper working of each individual part. Folks, when, the, when every part functions the way Christ designed, then the whole body causes the growth of the body. Now, Paul finishes off this idea by changing metaphors sort of in midstream. Notice what he says in verse 16. For the building up of itself... It ca- the whole body causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. This building that he's talking about here, this building up, this edifying, is not a, a building made with dead stones, but it's a living organism made up of living believers. The head provides the life directs the functioning of the entire body, helps every joint and every part fit together and hold together, and then every part fills its particular function and role, and when that happens, the body grows and builds itself up. Hippocrates, the father of medicine, almost 500 years before Christ, understood this while Some of his physiology was clearly wrong. At the same time, he understood the basic principle that good health only occurs when the various parts of the body function in proper proportion to one another. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul's clear implication is that for the body to grow, all the parts have to do their part. All the parts have to fill their role. Again, John Calvin writes, through the members as canals is conveyed from the head all that is necessary for the nourishment of the body. Let me ask you, are you filling the role that Christ made you to fill? That he gifted you to fill? Or have you neglected both the church, your responsibility to the whole, and the gift that Christ has given you? Listen, if you will use your gift to serve in this church, not only will you grow individually spiritually stronger, but you will contribute to the growth of the other members of this church and ultimately to the entire body of Christ. So get involved. Fill the role Christ created you to fill. Now that brings us to one final corporate implication of Christ's plan. We've seen that Christ is the head of the church, that God intended that spiritual growth occur within a community of believers, that every individual part is to contribute to the growth of the church. The fourth implication out of this passage, the fourth corporate implication is this, the lifeblood of true spiritual growth is love. The lifeblood of true spiritual growth is love. The whole body causes the body to grow, and that happens when every individual Christian fills his unique role. But for the plan to work, the one necessary ingredient that has to be added comes at the end of verse 16. It all has to happen 
in love. That is, in the sphere of love. Think of it like this. We've talked about all the different parts of the body. Love functions like the blood does to our physical bodies. The life of our physical bodies is in the blood, which supplies oxygen and nutrients for the entire body. Without blood, there's no growth. There's no life. In the same way, without love, there will be no spiritual growth. Isn't that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that great love chapter? He begins by saying, it doesn't matter what I say. Nothing I say matters if I don't have love. He goes on to say, no ministry or gift that I may have or use matters if I don't have love. No personal sacrifice or service matters if I don't have love. Without love, every spiritual enterprise is worthless. If all of us fill our role in this church, but there's no genuine love and concern for each other, then it will not, it cannot result in the building up of this church in spiritual growth. The Corinthian church is a great example of this. Paul begins the Corinthian letter. You know what he says to them in the first chapter? You are lacking in no spiritual gift. They had them all, and according to chapters 12 through 14, they were using them, but they weren't using them in love for one another, and therefore it wasn't benefiting them. It wasn't growing them. We are to unselfishly, in a self-sacrificing way, seek to meet the needs of others regardless of their worthiness of it or their response to it. That's what love is. We're to do what we do, not for ourselves, not so other people will look at our gifts and say, wow, there's a guy who's gifted. There's a lady who's really got a great set of spiritual gifting, but for each other. You see in this context why love is so important? Let me ask you a question. When 21st century Christians think about church, what is the very first thing they think about? Themselves. What is it going to do for me? Will I like it? Will it benefit me? Will it help my growth? And it's not that those are never appropriate questions to ask. It's a matter of emphasis. For many, those things are their preoccupation. When they think about church, they think about them. Paul wants us to turn our eyes out and say, no, it's about the other people. I'm to do what I do. I'm to think of the church in love for others. Paul says, where the church is functioning the way Christ designed, stop thinking about yourself and your own growth and your own needs and start thinking about the role you're supposed to fill for the people around you. By the way, in this context, one crucial way we can demonstrate that love, go back up to verse 2. You remember this? We are to show tolerance for one another in love. We're to respond to the faults of others by holding ourselves back, by exercising self-restraint, and we're to do that in love. We're to overlook the faults of others with a spirit of love and concern for them, not gritting our teeth, our teeth, but rather having a toleration for them that springs from the heart motive of genuine love for them, being quick to overlook the faults and weaknesses of others. When we show that kind of love in the church, it is the life-giving blood which 
by which the church will grow and live. Genuine sacrificial love then, listen carefully, genuine sacrificial love for one another becomes the ruler by which we measure the church's real growth. Paul says there's a real vital unity in this section. There's a real unity that we didn't create, that the Holy Spirit created when we came to faith in Christ, and he united us to Christ, and he united us to each other. And verse 3 of this section says, you and I are to preserve that unity. We're to do what we can to preserve that unity. And here he tells us how. As we've studied together, he has shown us how to preserve that unity. Verse 2, we learn that we are to put on the attitudes of unity. Attitudes like humility and patience and gentleness and tolerance for one another in love. Where those attitudes exist, there will be unity. Where they do not, there will be conflict and discord and disunity. We are to focus on the basis of our unity. Verses 4 through 6. Those great realities that unite us, one body, we share a common life, one spirit, we share a common source or origin, one hope, we share a common future. One Lord, we share a common master. One faith, we share a common body of belief. One baptism, we share a common confession. One God and Father, we share a common God and Father. Those seven realities unite us to every other Christian, and we're to focus on those realities and not the petty issues that divide us. And the third way he's told us in this passage that we can preserve the unity is by working on Christ's plan for unity, which is the plan he has for his church. When the church functions the way Christ planned, the church will preserve its inherent unity. When the gifted leaders that Christ has given his church equip the members, and the members, that's you, when you use the gift God has given you for the spiritual growth of others, when you do it in love for the help of the body as a whole, then the result is growth. We grow individually. We're no longer children tossed here and there with personal instability. We're no longer easily deceived by every wind of teaching but we grow up into likeness to Jesus Christ himself. And from Christ, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every individual Christian supplies, as each one fills his role, the whole body grows. And it does it in the sphere with the lifeblood of love pumping through its veins. That it's the plan. It's an amazing plan. It's Christ's plan for his church. Let me ask you, you, you who claim to be in Christ, are you on board personally with the plan? This is what's important to Christ. Listen, what you read about in the newspaper, ultimately that is not important to Christ. He's in charge of it, he orders it, he directs it, but the most important thing to Christ in today's world is what happens in his church. That's what he's building. That's what matters for eternity. World powers will rise and fall, bad economies will come and go, but what matters to Christ is his church. Does it matter to you? 
Is that the number one priority to you? Get in step with the program. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed, and that concludes our current series, The Church According to Jesus. Tom will have a new series for you starting on our next broadcast, and we do hope you'll join us then. But before we leave you today, here again is Tom with some closing thoughts. Friend, can I just encourage you with how important the church is to you, and more importantly, how important the church is to your Lord Jesus Christ? I hope that you are engaged in a Bible-believing church and you are using the giftedness God has given you for the good of the fellow believers around you. If not, can I just encourage you to take what you've learned from the series and to recommit yourself to belonging to a church and to engaging in the unity of that body by using the gifts God has given you for the growth of the whole. And here's the amazing thing. As you do that, you'll find that you grow in spiritual maturity as well. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.